Wish I didn't have to know what I thought I needed to know. Some secrets are best. Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan, and I am super excited today after a notable long absence and a long NFL offseason. Um, I bring back my brother, Michael Wu, back onto the podcast as we have some trade news, Mike. Um, Some extremely big trade news um, involving our favorite team, uh, the New York Jets. Mike, do you want to kind of um, uh, talk about who got traded and um, kind of give me your reactions to like uh, your initial reactions to when you heard about the trade? Yeah, so we, uh, our favorite team and the team that, you know, the team that we root for, the uh, New York Jets, made a big move last week where they decided to trade probably our best player on the team, Jamal Adams, to the Seahawks um, for two first rounders. I believe they swapped their, you know, the Jets get a third rounder as well, but give up a fourth rounder. Um, And we get, I believe a safety Bradley McDougal or something. Yep. Yep. So we get, so let me, let me outline the deal for you. So we get a 2021 first round pick, a 2022 uh, first round pick, um, a 2021 third round pick, and then uh, Bradley McDougal in exchange for Jamal Adams um, and a fourth round pick going to Seattle. So Mike, give me your initial reactions to that trade because when I saw Schefter post that tweet, I I don't know. I had my initial feelings about it were almost rel- relief in that like, all right, the drama is finally over between the team and Jamal Adams and Adams this whole offseason has basically been clamoring for an extension um, after three years um, off of his rookie deal. Um, Basically, the Jets had him on um, his rookie contract and could have kept him on that contract for another two years or so um, on a team-friendly deal for two more years. But a lot of the guys, like the very premier guys that are up this offseason, um, in his draft class, got notable extensions. We could talk about the Patrick Mahomes extension. Um, mm-hmm. Probably, the, I think, the richest contract in the NFL um, who got extended this offseason. Um, and this is, like, the, the, I think the first time uh, rookies on this um, pay scale can get extended. Um, and this is the first offseason that they can get extended. So, Adams was clamoring for it, and basically the Jets had been, I don't know if they were playing hardball necessarily, necessarily, but they weren't acquiescing to his um, maybe extension demands um, privately. But yeah, it just became a more and more tenuous situation, and ultimately it led him to getting traded out of the AFC East and to the Seattle Seattle Seahawks. So Mike, give me a reaction, uh general reaction to it because it's one and I think we're seeing a trend of like all these big players getting traded. Um what was your reaction when I texted you about it? Yeah, honestly, it was 
Phil, my initial reaction as a Jets fan was it's, it's just like kind of sad at first. Like I was initially kind of sad, right, about, you know, the Jets, like, hey, we're just going to be, we're probably going to be bad for another like two, three years here. Um, you know, this is one of the long-term plays where we kind of build up our, our team through the draft, right? And it's just kind of sad that like, you know, the Jets can't retain their top talent and it's just going to be like a pretty sad next two to three years, even though like Tom Brady is out of the AFC East, like you would think that the Jets might have a shot, but um, it, it looks like that's, it's not a good move for this upcoming season, if we have one, right? So it's right, right. a little bit sad, but, you know, looking at the deal that they got and kind of comparing it to some of the other trades with like Khalil Mack also going for two first rounders, uh, a Jalen Ramsey type. And those are star, like top, top players at really premier positions. Whereas you typically don't see like two first rounders going for a, a, a safety, right? Um, especially a safety that's not really like a ball hawk safety. Like, you know, Jamal Adams is, is a great, you know, safety, but he, he still has some flaws, right? Um, but yeah, like for the Jets to get that kind of haul, like I, I think initially I was a little bit sad, but it, it makes sense, right? If I was like an owner of the team, um, a GM, like that, that, that kind of offer you really have to seriously consider and probably end up taking. Yeah. And Mike, I think you kind of hit it on the head. And um, if, if our listeners don't know, um, Bill Barnwell, who's an NFL writer for ESPN, did a really good job of kind of grading the trade and um, outlining um, basically the the mechanism and as to why the Jets traded Jamal Adams for two first rounders and whether or not Seattle gave too much. So I really encourage people to give the Bill Barnwell trade column a a read. Um, but I think he does a really good job of outlining like the two first round picks for a non-premier non-premium position, um, of strong safety seems like a little much to be giving up for a player, regardless of his talent. And I, I think one of the things of, to note, Mike, um, Jamal Adams, like, isn't that typical ball hawk safety in the mold of uh, another Seattle great Earl Thomas? He's more of that Cam Chancellor type, um, kind of in the box safety, um, going to be making t- plays near the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, Greg Williams in the Jets defense used him extremely creatively, placing him pretty much like as a queen on the chessboard, as kind of like the player that can do all these different things, uh, rush the passer, defend tight ends, um, kind of be key in those areas, whether, you know, like shadowing um, mobile quarterbacks. Like, I I think that's really his future in the league. Um, But in terms of, you know, creating like turnovers uh, via interceptions, he wasn't like, ultra productive over the first three years of his career. I, I believe he had like three interceptions um, mm-hmm. or in, in the first three years of his career. So not like huge totals at all, but he did have different facets of his game that affected 
um, the game plans of offenses in different ways. But I, I just think in general, when an offer of two first round picks and all of that and all the picks that were bundled up plus the safety that while obviously not as good as Jamal Adams or nowhere near the talent is a guy that can come in and fill a role and was a fairly like I would say above average um, safety um, in comparison to uh, league average so that's all a positive and a plus um, for a guy that was basically trying to force his way out and like was trying to make it as difficult as possible for the Jets to trade him. Um, I, yeah. I think overall the organization did the best that they could when put in the position, but it does point to like a worrisome trend that you kind of alluded to. Like all of the, all of our first round picks from 2013 through 2017, I believe are, have been traded. Um, there was this list of players uh, that Rich Semini, who's the Jets beat reporter, um, like kind of listed and got traded. He talked about Calvin Pryor got traded, Sheldon Richardson traded, Leonard Williams traded, now Jamal yeah. Adams is traded. So like the fact that the Jets haven't been able to retain talent, especially at the top of their for their draft as first round picks is definitely a worrisome tr- sign for the future. But with moves like this that ended up happening, like Joe Douglas is building a picks like like a pick stash where he's kind of like stashing as many picks as possible to get more shots at um at and shots in the barrel type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think especially given, like, the position the Jets were in where Jamal Adams was making it hard to trade him, right? It, 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 you know, he was going after Adam Gase, right? He was going after the owner. Um, him and Joe Douglas, the GM for the Jets, weren't didn't seem to be on the best um, position either. So, um it was kind of a tough relationship and to get the haul that they did, like, I, I think overall, like, I, I, I think it's like an, an A, I, I would give it an A for the Jets, right? And it, it's just a little bit sad, but at the same time, like, I don't think the Jets were really going to go anywhere in the Jamal Adams time window either, right? Like, I, I can't imagine, like, in the next two, three years, the Jets were going to go even to, like, the AFC Championship unless Sam Darnold took, like, a huge leap. Right, and I think that's kind of, like, took into Joe Douglas's decision-making when in regards to this trade. He probably saw, like, Jamal Adams is a great player, but does he necessarily fit the this timeline, um, or can we extract more picks from him where we can kind of be set in a better timeline when Sam Darnold's ready to carry this team and win. And, and I don't know, like when talking with different people and different friends and, and, and kind of hearing their reactions, a lot of people were a little bit, I would say more lukewarm than we are about the trade in that, 
um people we were like you know two first rounders they're probably going to be late first rounders because seattle is a perennial playoff team um mm-hmm. like in the mid to late 20s or in that range um but at the end of the day like if the jets are able to have that amount of draft capital to be able to take um more shots at different players then i think you kind of have to applaud what management has done so far and to extract that amount of value for Jamal Adams, who, you know, again, mentioning that he doesn't play at a premium position. And like, it's pretty, and it's evidenced by like the Jets record last year. Like he played in an all pro level and the Jets won seven games, right? Like it's, it's not like the Jets really were, were outstanding last year. It's not like Adams did anything to really affect the game um, to the point where the Jets were pouring on wins and they they got to a 10-win season. Like, I think at a certain point, like once there's a quarterback in place, like um, in Seattle with Russell Wilson, once you can add ancillary pieces like splurge on a strong safety, then it makes a little bit more sense to kind of add a piece like that. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, another thing, one thing I did like about Jamal Adams was he brought an identity to the Jets, right? He was a real leader in the locker room, and, you know, you would hear that all the teammates really loved playing with him. So that, I mean, he just seems like a, a great leader, um, off the field, like, you know, um, besides his great playing ability. So I think that, I think that that's something that I'll miss. And now that I look at the Jets team, right, we don't have a, a real identity, right? It's Adam Gase, Sam Darnold. I'm not really sure what that team is right now. And it just seems like we're going straight into another kind of fresh, um, rebuild right even though we paid a decent amount for the offensive line um we're starting to give sam Darnold some weapons so it almost seems like the path right now is to give sam Darnold a year of development and kind of see what we have at quarterback position uh after we gave sam Darnold a few weapons to work with here well i do want to push back on that notion a little bit and you kind of mentioned it towards the end about like Joe Douglas investing in the offensive line. And I think that's kind of like that identity that the, the jets really want to um, really cement for this season and seasons to come. Like they invested, um, you know, signing McGovern at center, signing um, uh, George Fant, who, who's a tackle from Seattle, um, ironically. And the jets, you know, uh, selected Makai Becton in the draft as well. So like they're really investing in that offensive line and trying to add quality depth to that offensive line. So I think they're slowly trying to trying to reshape the identity of the team. But I, I think what Douglas is kind of um, showing here is a lot of patience in comparison to a lot of, previous Jets management or general managers like um, McCagnin, Idzik, you know, um, like 
who was the guy that led I'm, I'm, uh, Mike Tannenbaum, who was we who led the the team to two AFC Championship games, where they would tend to shop um, in free agency and trades to kind of round out their team, whereas Douglas is taking more of a um, let's draft and develop and kind of developed in that um, Eagle slash Baltimore Ravens, Ozzie Newsome um, camp of like really drafting well um, mm-hmm. and re-signing that talent that way. And I think that's where they're, th- that's the type of identity that they really want to invest in. And, you know, Douglas is kind of showing that by valuing the picks that, um, he got in the Adams trade, to, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. And overall, overall for me, you know, the Jets. I know they invested a little bit in the line. Um, it, it we're just not going to be very good next season. I, I really don't expect us to kind of win the AFC East or make the playoffs for now. Yeah, I I think it's really tough to see, especially after trading probably the most talented player on the roster. Um, And, you know, especially when it's tough to see because we're not going to really see the fruits of that labor come to fruition until next offseason and next draft. Um, and then you could kind of make a little bit more of a well-rounded assessment as to whether or not the Jets made the right decision or not. Um, but they, you know, I think they did a decent job as to what was in front of them and the options that were available and the perception as to wh- how Jamal Adams was placing the team, um, especially with a lot of the things that he was going through. Now, Mike, one of the funny anecdotes that came out of this whole thing was kind of like, did you, I don't know if you follow uh, Jamal Adams on IG, but he was, he had like fun, a funny Instagram live post trade where he was like smoking a cigar, playing dominoes and like dancing around to some Jay-Z as uh, he was making his exit um, away from the Big Apple. But I don't know if you caught uh, any glimpses of that and wanted to hear any of your reaction to that. I did not see that, actually. I, I probably need to check that out now that you mentioned it. But uh, Yeah, he was dancing he, around. He was smoking a cigar. He was celebrating. He was, like, extremely excited to be leaving. So I was like, well, really? that can't be – I was just like, that can't be a great sign for any free agent that's, like, possibly – Considering the – Right. And, and, yeah. and honestly, like, you know, we kind of see – we've kind of seen it in – um, the premium that the Jets have had to pay to bring in free agents. Um, just look at that CJ Mosley contract. Like, it's not a horrendous, it's like, it's just like an extremely, oh, extreme amount of money to be paying for a middle linebacker in a 3 4 system. Um, and it, it's just, it's just a lot of money. To, and like, the reason like he, was brought in for that money was because the Jets probably had to pay like 15% on top as a premium to bring a guy to a, this type of organization. Um, and it's extremely frustrating to, to that the Jets have to be operating in that manner. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you would think with the Jets, like, being in New York, um, yeah, being in New York, like, you would think that we'd have some sort of a draw, but it's kind of, you know, like the like the Knicks, right? And the fact that it's just tough for us to get some free agency talent, which is very sad to see. But I am surprised at the end destination. I am surprised how, um, you know, how much Seattle ended up actually paying. I, I thought he was going to be going to Dallas, but – it, some parts of the move make sense for Seattle. I don't know if, in terms of implications of the deal, like this is a real like game changer in the NFL. I, I, I don't know if Seattle has what it takes to win the NFC still, even with mm-hmm. that move. Um, they need you know, offensive linemen, like pretty good. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. To protect Wilson. But like, I mean, anytime you have a premier quarterback like Wilson, like you have a shot. Um, for mm-hmm. sure, but it's like, like th- for me, does Adams move the needle enough defensively without Jadevian Clowney coming back, um, without like a proven pass rush on that Seattle uh, defense? I'm not exactly sure. Like there, and everyone's been calling uh, this team on uh, the secondary on Twitter, uh, Legion of Boom 2.0, like. It, do, do they do those guys really live up to that standard? Um, I, I think if there's a lot that remains to be seen um, on on whether or not that defense is good enough um, to supplement Russell Wilson on offense. Yeah. Yep. So, Mike, I, I mean, yeah, there's like a bunch of other NFL news that we probably should comment on and talk about, like. Mike, we talked about like um, Washington football team. Uh, they sound like a soccer club or a football uh, uh, a club right now with the way that they're being named. But um, they have temporarily, I guess, decided to call themselves the Washington football team just for this upcoming season. Maybe delaying. Uh, delaying um the inevitable change to uh something to to like a different logo or to to a different um uh mascot um aside mm-hmm. from the redskins uh and with the social climate that we're in um a lot of teams have decided or a lot of you know there's a lot of talk about changing names of statues changing names of teams changing naming conventions in general um and the washington redskins uh followed suit in that once um dan snyder and fedex who are who who are the red i'm i'm gonna say redskins but the washington football team's uh main sponsor uh threatened to kind of like pull out because of all the things that were going on in terms of changing the name um, and with Dan Snyder's like strong stance of them not uh, of them not changing the team name for so long and now deciding to change the team name how do you feel about what what's going on in regards to the Washington football team and everything surrounding that situation yeah I think so I think that with some of the recent events, like you, you kind of have to, it, it's kind of been a long time coming, but you, 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 it's a good time to do this um, name change right now. Right. And 
I do think that Washington kind of taking their time with this to kind of be a little bit thoughtful because, you know, I, I could see the, <laughs> the Redskins management um, kind of picking the very first thing they saw with like very little thought as well. So I think that at least it's better than that approach and that they're going to kind of try and have a thoughtful approach here um, and take some time to get the name right, to make sure the fans are okay with it. So I think overall, good move by the, you know, the Washington football team. And it, it, it's, it's, it's good, right? It's good overall. It's, it's been a long time coming. But, so, you know, yeah. other bad things with it is, you know, obviously you saw some of the sexual harassment claims within that organization as well. I mean, with the Jets owner, too, with Woody Johnson as well as on his appointment um, as the as the U.S. ambassador to uh, to Great Britain. There was a lot of um, allegations as well on his end of things. So um, I think a lot of these allegations and these situations are coming to fruition and coming up in a lot of these situations. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike kind of to throw like a fun spin at things um if you had um if they had like some type of um what do i want to say some type of contest to come up with a name is there is there a name off the top of your head that you can possibly think of as as like a cool name that you would be that would fit washington but also kind of and, and fit like the culture cultural relevance of like what has to do with dc and also like would be like a cool football mascot a lot of a lot of people on twitter and i don't know if you were seeing the twitter reaction to this uh event or this story was washington the washington football team missed a key um like way to name this team um and i don't know like I don't know if you follow the English Premier League or soccer in general, but mm-hmm. a lot of the the teams in Europe don't really have like named their teams after like mascots or logos. So my favorite team, Liverpool, is just the name of the town or the city within England, Liverpool Football Club. Um, you know, there's a lot of other teams like Manchester United, just named after Manchester, the city. Or if you want to talk about um, Manchester City, um, there's just like not many teams in the in in the footballing world or the soccer world that name their clubs after after like inanimate objects that are just that are just mascots um they just typically name it after the city and call liverpool football club so a lot of people were just saying why didn't washington just name it washington football club instead of washington football team uh a lot of uh i think international soccer fans felt like the Washington owners uh, and Dan Snyder missed on a key opportunity to endear himself to um, a bunch of international soccer fans. So Mike, now that that was me like kind of delaying for two minutes. Have you thought of a name for the Washington football team that uh, you would throw in a hypothetical contest scenario? 
I mean, you got to stick with the colors there a little bit. Um, and while, you know, that gave your whole, uh, your whole speech right there gave me a few minutes to kind of think through and think of some names. I mean, you could either go with something that is more, if there's something related to DC, you could do something like the Warriors or something or like the, uh, I don't know, you can't really do the Patriots. That was the first thing that came to mind. But mm-hmm. something around like the Warriors or something. Um, but uh, the other option might be some kind of red animal. And with that, you might go with like, I don't know, Hawks. Washington right? Hawks. Interesting. Washington Hawks. I kind of like Washington like like Wolves. I don't know. Washington Red Wolves. Washington uh Griffins, I don't know. Washington Griffins. Ooh, that's interesting. So go just go like hypothetical, like mythical character. Yeah. I mean why not? Uh, I think the Griffins kinda of sounds kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean nothing nothing is like a, a great name. If you can come up with great names, like let me know so I could ask you which name uh certain startup ideas to. Yeah, I know exactly. Like uh, Seattle came out with a new hockey club called the Seattle Kraken, which I found fairly interesting. Indigenous mm. to the Pacific Northwest, the, the Kraken is like this like crazy long slash big ginormous squid um, that is like within folklore. So I found that interesting because they're like you know taking advantage of Pacific Northwest weather and like the the animals in that region um yeah i was trying like the washington swamp the Washington like i don't even really know yeah yeah washington swamp dragons yeah i i don't really know like what they can really go for griffin sounds interesting because griffin door griffin um you know Red, the red, the red red color scheme, you know, Harry Potter, like that can gain some traction. The Warriors was, was like a popular one that I think there were, there are some sources out there that, um, that were, that was reporting that I think, um, Snyder was kind of tossing that one around and trying to figure that out. Um, Mm. yeah, I, I, I think. I think it's really kind of tough to to think about that. Do you feel like this is the start to like possibly changing uh, names throughout sports and for other teams like at, like the Cleveland Indians and in baseball, the Atlanta Braves, maybe the Kansas City Chiefs in football? Like, do you think it could be kind of like the start to something where you know some of these uh, teams are going to have to think about changing their names in general. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing just goes around um, being open-minded and really talking with the people who are affected by it. Um, clearly, like the Redskins, is that, that's just like a, a name that a lot of um, people who are affected by it like are just very uncomfortable with. So um, obviously, like, that's always been some lingering tension there, and you do have to make the right actions, especially nowadays, right? So I, I think that for the Redskins, like that, that was a good move on their part, but um, definitely a long time coming. 
regarding some of the other names, I, I mean, I don't know as much on the, some of these names and like how some people take it, right? But I do think that, um, you know, if, if, if people are pretty uncomfortable with it, right? If there is that kind of, um, you know, like if you talk to the, to the people who, you know, um, Native Americans, like, and if they are kind of negative on those terms, then yeah, we might really have to relook at a broader set of uh, names within the NFL as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's like ultimately where this kind of goes, and like being able to to listen to the people that it really affects and see whether or not it's something that is is really of concern to that population and who it affects. So I'm curious to see like what, if this is just like the first domino to fall for uh, the changes of names in different sports leagues and all of that. Um, yeah. And I, I, I did mention like the Woody Johnson thing where he ended up, there was like this whole, this whole, um, talk about like sexual sexual assault allegations um against him and you know against Snyder and you know the staff within Washington um and I think th- those things definitely need to get cleaned up and all and changing the culture of how those things how the or, those organizations are run are extremely important to I would say you know the NFL's image of trying to make it right um in with with the american public and like how that is gonna you know affect people and how they watch football i'm not sure it changes it that much but i think in the grand scheme of things as long as those things come up and bubble up like those things definitely need to get fixed um yeah i i think that's just like a, a, a given thing um Mike, in terms of other other football news, um, staying within the AFC East, um, our God beloved, and I'm saying that sarcastically, Patriots signed Cam Newton uh, since the last time we've talked, um, and it seems like he's going to be competing with Jared Stidham as as the as the starting quarterback, and like. If it's a healthy Cam Newton, um, I fully expect him to win the starting job. Mike, are you afraid of Cam Newton on the Patriots? Like, like I saw. I uh, am. I am. I, yeah, are I you saw, not? I am too. I saw a clip of him flying into to. I'm I'm presuming Logan Airport in Boston, um, and he basically lands and the new England uh, reporters are, are, you know, asking him all these questions and he pulls a Belichick move and he goes, you know what? Like I'm, I'm excited to be a Patriot, but I'm not answering any questions. And I was like, he's already buying into the Patriot way. And um, yeah, I'm a little worried. I, I can't like not. And he's 31. I want to say, right. Yeah. He has think, a lot of time. Yeah. Like if he, has gotten back to health. Like he did not look good last year um, before he got shut down and he was hurt. Um, but 
he he looked fairly inconsistent last year. Um, but the year before that, he looked fairly decent. And just looking at his stats, like he like it wasn't long ago. Like it was like three years ago when he led the Panthers to fifteen one fifteen and one record and to the Super Bowl appearance. Um, and like it's not like he had like all these weapons to his disposal. Um, yeah, when, he never had weapons. Yeah, when he led that Panthers team um, to the to that Super Bowl appearance, so like I'm extremely worried about like how Josh McDaniels is going to utilize him in in an offense like that, and whether or not it, I'm sure it's going to change um, from how Brady ran that offense for New England, but mm-hmm. it's just. The fact that New England got a starting caliber um, bordering on one healthy Pro Bowl caliber quarterback on the cheap, on a veteran's minimum, obviously there's all these incentives involved in the contract, is a worrisome sight for a Jets fan, is it not? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. Uh, yeah, I, you, you hear what people say about Cam Newton, like other players, other coaches, and they still think that he has it where he could be, a, you know, a top 10 quarterback in the league. Um, he definitely has all the talent. He's definitely shown it before. Um, you know, the injuries are worrying, but a lot of people get through a lot of these injuries. So he, he's got the body for it. Maybe that hurts some of his mobility. Um, but to, to think that, like, if, if if he could even get to, like, 80%, 70% of what he he was in one of his, like, better seasons, right? Um, he's still, like, a, at least, like, an average quarterback, maybe above average quarterback, who could do a lot of different things um, that I really don't think that the Patriots could do with Tom Brady. Like, he's so athletic. He's so big. Like, 6'5". Um, he's just, like, built like a like Superman, right? So it's, it's pretty worrying. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna wait a little bit to see. I'm really fascinated. Like the the Patriots to me might be the most fascinating, like one of the most fascinating teams again this year. I'm, I'm just really interested to see how they look. Yeah. Like, I think the intrigue for me is whether or not and I think Belichick's proved this with, you know, like in 08 when Brady tore his ACL in the first game of the season and Matt Castle came in and they won 11 games. Although they didn't make the playoffs, they won 11 games. Um, like he's proven he can win without Brady. So it's not like out of the realm of possibility that this Patriots team, you know, keeps chugging along, wins another AFC East title and makes it to makes it into the playoffs. Like that's not inconceivable at all. Um, I'm just curious to see like how Belichick manages the team and, and how he builds, how this offense is built around Newton and his skill set. Like that's a fairly intriguing, intriguing to me. Um, and whether or not, like, it seems like the Bills are number two in the AFC East, whether or not the Bills are the team that, ends up finally overtaking New England for that AFC East crown this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
a lot to see. I, I, I really do think that the Patriots, if, if you ask me, I would say the Patriots are probably, I'd still say the favorites to win the AFC East. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think they might have pushed into favorite territory um, with the Newton move. Um, yeah, Michael, I'm sorry I had to bring that topic up. It, it sounded like there was just like a hint of... Um, I know, bad, bad Jets news and, I mean, good overall long-term Jets news, but bad in the short term for sure. Yeah. Obviously, the Patriots had someone, so it's... A hint uh, of sadness in your another voice. Another year, another, you know, 2020 just can't think anywhere yeah and i did kind of want to touch upon this if and i I wanted to like ask you like what the odds are like if you had to like have like a sliding scale like 60 40 50 50 70 30 of an nfl season happening this year where do you place your odds at Mm. With all the COVID stuff, all the coronavirus, whether or not there's going to be a second spike, are there going to be fans in the in the stands this year? Like, where do you base like football actually happening? And then where would you? How would you say? What would you say is the possibility of fans being in the stands this this fall? Yeah, it's a good question. I I don't think I'm going to say it's like a sixty percent chance. Slight, slight favorite to um, to have the season. I'm surprised um, it's that low for you. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, honestly, it's if you see the numbers, it's really not trending <laughs> any better in the U.S. I I, I would say so. Yeah, like sixty percent. Yeah, like sixty to seventy percent, right? And the reason is that I think that the NBA has shown that you can do it. But the NBA operationally is is just like a fantastic organization, fantastically run. Um, And just in terms of the logistics of only needing like 15 people versus for football, you have uh, a much larger staff, significantly more players. It's just harder to imagine how they can get this done logistically, right? So obviously, like the first thing is like you need to have a competent organization, which I'd say the NBA probably has a better organization than the NFL. And the second thing for the NFL is that it's just it's a harder problem too, right? You you really I can't imagine they do something like this Orlando thing that the NBA is doing. I mean, um, I think that that's pretty much out of the running, like in terms of like if there being one central hub and like. I, I just think that's out like unrealistic and not going to happen. I think the model to really look at is the MLB, which started up this past week. And it seems like it's been running fairly smoothly where teams are traveling to different stadiums um, in, in different parts of the uh, parts of the country. So, you know, it kind of shows the ability for teams to travel um, on a larger scale and see whether or not that works in the long run. And I think that's the model to look after if you're the NFL, um, not basketball, because it's not as analogous as to as to where 
baseball, at least the teams are traveling to different locations. Yep. And honestly, like we haven't yet had that player um, in any of the major sports who's, I mean, we've had people who've had COVID, but no one who's actually like had really serious symptoms, at least to what we know. So it's until that kind of happens, I just feel like they're going to be okay with some kind of risk here too. Yeah, and it it seems like the default for a lot of the leagues is like, all right, if you have COVID, you're going to be sitting out quarantining and doing all those things and and going into that protocol quarantine protocol or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like going to shut down the league unless it's like a mass set of infections where it's like wiping teams out to the point where like they can't field a team. I don't like, I don't think leagues are going to be shutting down if like one player gets infected by it. Yeah. Yep. At this point. I agree. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you, so like transition, you know, you mentioned the NBA and transitioning to like some of the thoughts about the bubble and, and um, your thoughts on the NBA like the NBA reported recently that they like with all the testing they have have had so far, every test has come back negative. No players have tested positive for COVID-19. So that's a real positive and shows that the bubble is working. Uh, there's mm-hmm. constant, constant testing um, daily. Um, I don't, and like, I think that's been like such an encouraging sign to see um, kind of like this experiment workout. I did a podcast with my good friend, uh, Andrew Ramondi about, you know, the NBA. So NBA quarantine situation. So if you guys want to listen to that more deeply, you can check that situation out, but like, just give me your general reactions to like how the NBA is going and it's coming back next week. So are you excited Thir- this Thursday? Yeah, I'm super excited. So I already have plans to watch the games, uh, the first day games with a, a friend. And, um, you know, it's it's just going to be great to have sports back. And yeah, just even seeing sports on my news feed on Instagram, it's just it's just so much joy, so much joy from it. Yeah, we're, we're basically back in the full swing of things. Baseball started up this week. The NBA starting uh, starting up next week or this coming week. Um, you know, NFL is going to be, you know, training camp is supposedly supposed to be starting, um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. Um, the English Premier League just ended today. So, like, soccer's been happening um, for a while. So, like, sports is pretty much back. Like, golf is happening. We're going to be getting into the majors there um, um, as the summer rolls along. So, there's a lot of, like, sports content that's going to be coming out uh, to you guys with uh, me recording the podcast now that sports is is kind of officially back like I I feel like we can kind of like ring uh, you know ring a bell and in excitement slash like joy with all the sports that's back so I'm really excited about that Um, like one of the things that I did want to kind of talk to you about and this social media story that's kind of going on um, regarding the NBA. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, so like, what are your thoughts on like these players coming 
leaving the bubble and then coming back into the bu- bubble and like the protocol uh, that's taking place. Zion Williamson ended up leaving the bubble and then he's come back into the bubble. Um, he's getting quarantined for four days. Um, and then I believe um, Lou Williams, um, I don't know if you've heard about this social media story, but he ended up yeah. um, leaving the bubble yeah. for his grandfather's funeral or death. Um, to spend time with his family and then it seemed like he enjoyed himself later that night or later during that trip and ended up at a gentleman's club at a strip club so and he I I think he ended up getting he needs to be quarantined for 10 days when he comes back into the bubble Um, or like the like I think it's kind of interesting like like all the different like scenarios that have been happening as to like who's coming in, coming out of the bubble. Um, there's a lot of like conspiracy talk um, with a lot of like the Clippers organization because three guys had like left the bubble from the Clippers and people were just like, do the Clippers just like not care that their players are leaving because they pretty much have like the eight game training, like the eight games to finish the regular season don't really mean that much to them um, so that they can kind of allow some of their players to leave. What are, what are some of your thoughts on all the stuff that's happening in regards to that? Yeah. I mean, some quick thoughts on that. I, I think it's fine if they leave the bubble. Right, obviously for Zion and Lou, um, at least initially, you know, they had <laughs> right, right. they had they had legitimate reasons for needing to leave, and it seems like there is a process, there is a protocol, and as long as that gets followed, it seems like you do mitigate the risk to you know having the bubble get infected, right, in some of the negative side effects of. Of, of of allowing the players to leave. So I, I think that's fine, right? And it seems like everyone's doing the right things there. Um, and the NBA has done a fantastic job of just this whole kind of on-the-fly flexibility and experiment, right? So I, I think that's totally fine. Um, and to the Clippers' point, yeah, like, they they know their, their home field advantage, right? Um, doesn't really mean as much here. So they, uh, I, I'm not sure that they're in particular just like extremely motivated to try and win that one seed at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I think that for them, it's, it's, it's less of a priority. Just get back in basketball shape, right? Get back in the team flow of things, um, get the chemistry back and really rest up yeah, and I think that's kind of where it's going to be, uh, like, it'll be fascinating to see, like, how these teams play coming out of, like, the, you know, this bubble period and, like, what they look like during the the regular season and what that kind of play looks like. I don't know if you caught some of the highlights to scrimmage games, but, like, the Denver Nuggets like threw out a, a lineup of basically six foot nine players and above of like Paul Millsap, um, Bull Bull, uh, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Miles Miles Plumley. 
So like they're like experimenting, trying different things, which is really fascinating. Um, So I'm kind of curious to see like what these teams look like when actual games count and what, how they like operate and what they look like. That's the most intriguing thing to me. Um, And whether or not they're, you know, like there's a lot to play for, for some of these teams, like, New Orleans is that one is like the one team that I'm kind of really excited to be looking out for um, and whether or not they can catch, um, you know, that the Memphis Grizzlies in the eighth seed and that spot, that's going to be like one of those fascinating races. And I hope like they get, they utilize that, that playoff tiebreaker for the eighth seed um, and see Zion in the playoffs, because that would be extremely exciting to watch. Yeah, it'll be super exciting. I'm I'm extremely excited for the NBA season. I can't wait for next week. I think that the whole NBA logistics has gone extremely well. And yeah, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait to have some sports back in my life, some NBA in particular. NBA sports, like it's kind of crazy that we're going to have NBA basketball in October um, when the finals end <laughs> up rolling around, which is yeah. kind of mind boggling to me and mind-blowing um, with all the things that are going on. So, you know, hopes and prayers that the the seasons uh, finish up smoothly and that no one ends up getting sick or, you know, affected by COVID or anything like that. So, Mike, yep. um, I don't have anything much else to add. Was there anything else that you wanted to kind of talk about in the NBA um, before I wrap it up? No, I think I think we're all good. Um, yeah. We, we we went through all the sports here, NFL, NBA, and uh, even a little bit of MLB. So, um, yeah, it's good to have sports back. Yeah, super excited to have sports back. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a really tough couple of months in the sports world in terms of lack of content. Um, you know, ESPN was showing KBO baseball games, Korean baseball games. So like, you know, it was getting quite dire there for, for a few, for a few months for a lot of sports fans, but, um, you know, with the ongoing pandemic and everything going on, uh, we're just hoping that we can occur, uh, flatten this curve, um, and, do all the things that air the health professionals want um, us to do um, to be able to make this a safe environment again. So uh, thanks again, Mike, for coming on to the podcast. Uh, We're really excited to have sports back. Obviously you can kind of hear from the tone of our voices and, you know, the excitement and passion that we have for all the sports that are happening. So Mike, Thanks again for coming on to the pod and uh, always welcome back. Awesome. Thanks, Kev. If you wanna dance, girl, just give me two drinks and I'll be busting out the best moves you're ever gonna see, girl. Watch me, nay, nay.